Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we continue our series, More. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. And now on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there. What a nice guy. Uh, Good morning, everyone. How are you feeling this morning? You feeling good? Yeah, welcome to the Yellow Box. I'm glad that you're here. A special welcome if you're watching uh, digitally. We're so glad that you guys are here as well. Uh, my name is Ian. I'm just thrilled to be here. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into our series more. Let's pray together. Um, God, thank you. Thank you that you're in our midst right now. Wherever we may be, you're there. And so, God, regardless of the kind of story uh, that we're having, the kind of month, week, year, whatever, God, would you speak to us today? Would you move in our midst, God? Would your name be glorified, and we thank you. We thank you for loving us, and we pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, as Sherry mentioned, uh, we're in week three of our series called More, and the whole series has kind of been around this idea of finding more in life. I think a lot of us have at some point in our lives said something like, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And we've, we've dedicated this entire series to kind of answering that question. What, what is the more of life and how does it actually look in our lives to live that out? And I thought it would be appropriate being Child Dedication Sunday as we talk about this topic today of more love to ask some kids what they think about love. Because who knows better than kids, right? So here's a, here's a couple of kids' responses when they were asked, what is this thing called love? Here's what they said. Uh, Chris, age seven, says, love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he's handsomer than Robert Redford. Um, <laughs> this survey was done a few years ago, by the way, but uh, this other kid said something. Karen, age seven, says, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you, uh, which is like equal parts adorable and terrifying, right? Like, can you imagine if that actually happened? That'd be, that'd be really strange. How about this one? I know my older sister loves me because she gives me all her old clothes and has to go out and buy new ones. (laughs) I mean, that's love, right? Come on. (laughs) I think think this last one is my favorite, though. Bobby, age seven, says, Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. I mean, how good is that, right? Love is what's in the room when we hit pause and we, we just simply... Remain when we're present with those people. This idea of love, though, is something that I think is talked about a lot and maybe many of us struggle to truly understand. What is it that we're talking about uh, when we talk about this idea of love? If you were here last week, um, we actually stopped at a verse in John 15, and we're going to continue that passage today in John chapter 15. And the next verse reads this, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. So last week we were talking about remaining and Jesus was talking about my joy will be made complete in you when you understand that I'm the vine, you're the branch and you can just remain in me, abide in me, spend time with me. And then this very next verse, he says, this is my command, love each other as I have loved you. Now at the surface, this is maybe a verse that some of us are familiar with and we've maybe seen it, you know, put on mugs or throw pillows, but what does it actually mean, though, to love like Jesus? Have you ever wondered that? Like, am I supposed to go die on a cross? Is that, is that what that means? What does it actually mean to love like Jesus? 
So I want to I dig a little deeper into this really, really um, important statement. I want to start from the end of the verse and work towards the front. So first Jesus says, as I have loved you, right? As I have loved you. So in order to love as he's loved us, I think it's important first we understand the heart and nature of Jesus, right? We can't love like him uh, unless we understand what does that actually look like. Now in theology, we talk about a Trinitarian relationship. Jesus is a part of the Trinity, the three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the reason that's important is because in Jesus' very nature is community, is relationship. God, God didn't create humans because he was lonely. Within Father, Son, and Spirit, there was already this like perfect cycle of love and sacrifice and grace and mercy and beauty. That already existed within God himself. And I think that's why John actually describes God this way in 1 John. It says, God is love. God is love. Now, this is, this is very important to get. He didn't say God is loving. He didn't even say God knows a lot about love. He says that God is love. He is himself love. Ontologically, it is his very nature. For God, love is not the verb he does. It's the noun he is. Are we tracking? His very nature, his very essence is love. Maybe you could say it this way. Love does not define God God defines love. God defines love. If you want to know what God is like, start with love. Start with love. And anytime you want to learn about who God is and you don't start with love, I'd recommend a different starting point. So scripture tells us that we're made in the image and likeness of this God. So we're made in the image and likeness of this God, this community God, which means that we also are hardwired for community. We were not built, we were not created to do this thing by ourselves. And I'm speaking as someone who struggles in this area. The Bible seems to echo over and over again, you're not supposed to go it alone. God himself is communal, therefore we're created to be communal. But as the story goes, we sin. Now this word sin often kind of trips people up and it simply means like the breaking of wholeness, the breaking of completeness. It's, it's fracturing the way that things ought to be. And regardless of what, what you feel about Jesus or the Bible or God, I think all of us can acknowledge, yeah, yeah, in some ways I've contributed to maybe what's not right, to what's not loving, to what's not helpful. But here's the thing. Even when we rebelled, when we sinned, when we broke shalom, we broke relationship, God, God doesn't like cross his arms and say, well, you had your shot, then we're done. The Bible tells us that God comes after us. He pursues us. In fact, this God loves us so much that when we wanted nothing to do with him, he initiates. He steps down from infinity and became an infant, much like what we just had on the stage. He leaves eternity and enters into humanity. And not just to dictate like a certain set of principles or laws. He gives himself. He lives, he ministers, he heals, and then he lays down his life as a sacrifice for all of us. Jesus laid down his life to bring us life. He laid down his life, not just so that we'd have some example a couple thousand years later. 
Not even just so that we could go to heaven when we die, although that's important. He laid down his life so that you and I could have the fullness of life, even in the here and now. To not, not just to survive, but to live life to the fullest. In fact, uh, Jesus himself says in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. I'll be honest, I, I've taught that verse a lot, and I always kind of, I always kind of focus on the laying down the life part, right? Like that feels like that's the meat and potatoes of that verse. But it kind of, it kind of struck me this week. How remarkable is it that God calls us friends? You ever think about that? He doesn't, he doesn't lay down his life like reluctantly because it would be the right thing to do because God the Father made him do it or he bribed him to do it. No, he sees us as, as friends. This isn't something that God did reluctantly or out of obligation but out of his great love for us, laid down his life. And truthfully, when it comes to this idea of living life with more love, I think it starts first with this deep understanding that we are loved unconditionally, eternally, without end in God. When we understand that, that we're loved completely by him, that is a game changer. I I think Tim Keller, pastor and author, put it best. He said, we're more sinful and flawed than we ever dared to believe, yet more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. He's saying, yes, there is brokenness. I'm not diminishing that part at all. We've all contributed to this fracturing of shalom. That, That maybe has more catastrophic ramifications than we realize, but we're more loved, we're more accepted in Jesus than we ever could even possibly dare to hope. Because here's my guess. This idea of more love, I would guess that there are plenty of us in this room that have been telling yourselves a script that I'm talking to everyone in the room right now except for you. Yeah, God is love and he loves the world except for me. He could never love someone like me. Maybe you have a, a script that you've been telling yourself for a long time. Friends, if that voice isn't whispering love, grace, and forgiveness. It's not Jesus. Are are we all tracking this morning? If that voice isn't whispering love, grace, and forgiveness, it's not Jesus. Whatever that script is telling you is not true. It's a lie because God is love. He himself is love. And because we're loved, we're free. Love Freeze us. We, we know this at a human relationship. You ever been with friends that you just know love you so much that you get to actually be who you really are and not the weird dance that we all do out in society all the time? Anyone have one of those friends? You don't have to explain any of your weirdness or what your hair is doing that day or that weird joke that you made. You're like, ah, you get me. You're free to be who you actually are. We often talk about love freeing us only in like a heaven relationship, which is true, but I believe that we get that. When we understand that we are unconditionally, completely and eternally loved by the one who made us and sees us fully, that changes everything. It means we're free from trying to impress others because we're accepted in Jesus. It means we're free from trying to gain from others because in Jesus we're fulfilled. It means we're free from having to try and crush everyone around us because in Jesus I have peace, like abiding peace, like deep peace. 
We're, we're free to live a different kind of life, not just go somewhere different when we die. That kind of love changes everything. Now, the second part of this verse, Jesus says we'll find more love when we love each other. Love each other. This idea of loving each other is not that we like grasp tighter. It actually is a living with hands more open. So often when we think about this idea of like more love, I want more love in my, my life, right? We need to like get more people, more loving people in my life. And what Jesus is saying here is the secret isn't to like hoard more people. It's actually to be that person, to live more a life of love in everything that you do. There's a, um, an author named C.S. Lewis, and he wrote a brilliant book called The Four Loves. And in it, there's a chapter in Friendship. And he talks about this, uh, this group of friends, really two other friends, uh, J.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings and all that, and then uh, Charles Williams. And he, he recounts when Charles died, what that, what that process was like for him. And uh, he called Tolkien Ron. He said, I, I assumed when, when Charles died, I would actually get more of Ron. But what I found is I actually got less of Ron. He said, because there's a part of Ron that only comes alive after hearing like a distinctly Charles joke. Does anyone have friends like that? Maybe friends you haven't seen in a long time, but when you're around them, like a whole different part of you just lights up. And like your friends and spouse are like, who is this person? Who are you? And like, sorry, it's high school friends. He goes on to say then, we will find that when we share the heavenly bread among us, we will have more, not less. It's not, it's not about like hoarding more and more loving relationships. It's about, it's about being people of loving generosity, of living love wherever we are. We experience more when we surrender more. So much like Jesus, the way to more love is when we lay down our lives to bring others' life. Lay down our lives to bring others' life. And just to be clear, like is an emotion, Love is a sacrifice. Can I get an amen from anybody? <laughs> like is an emotion. Love is truly a sacrifice. Not all the time, but anyone who's been in a loving relationship, you know that at times, I'm laying down my life to bring you life. I'm laying down my desires, maybe even my needs in this moment, to bring you life. When we tried to think of a person who modeled this, um, we thought of a guy named Fred Rogers. Anyone know Mr. Rogers? Anyone grow up with Mr. Rogers? Anyone, anyone see the recent documentary? Yeah, bring a box of tissues because it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And in the documentary, uh, someone recounts that Fred, every day before entering the studio, um, he would pray this quick prayer. He would say this, Dear God, let some word that is heard be yours. Let some word that is heard be yours. Be yours. And he would pray that every single day as he entered the studio. And a man who prayed that prayer every single day, it led him to lead a life like this. Take a look. A television program for children made its unauspicious debut on station WQED in Pittsburgh. Its host, Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers? Yeah. I want to tell you something. What would you like to tell I like you. I like you, my dear. Thank you very much for telling me that. I've always felt that I didn't need to put on a funny hat or jump through the hoop to have a relationship with a child. He was always trying to get a message across in every show. A week on death. What does assassination mean? On divorce. Some people get married and after a while they're so unhappy that they don't want to be married anymore. 
He was radical. I know everyone says that, but he was radical. They didn't want black people to come and swim in their swimming pools. My being on the program was a statement for Fred. A neighborhood was a place where, at times, that you felt worried, scared, unsafe, would take care of you. He had a singular vision of kindness and love. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love or the lack of it. Children have very deep feelings, just the way everybody does. There must be times when you do feel blue. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? Well, I suppose it's an invitation. It's an invitation for somebody to be close to you. The greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? Yeah. The greatest thing we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. I think that's what Jesus did and does. It isn't just that he laid down his life so that we can go to heaven when we die and to know that we are loved. He then sends us out to be agents and conduits of love and grace and mercy wherever we're at. To not just declare to us that you're loved, scars, warts and all. Knowing everything about our story, he sees us as beloved and he says, don't let it stop there. Now that you know that you're loved, then go love. I, I don't know about you personally, I, I want my opinion of others to pale in comparison to my love for others. I know that like in this particular climate, there's a lot going on in the world. It's easy for us to kind of latch onto our opinion of others. And that's fine to have opinions. But personally, I want my opinion of others to pale in comparison to my love for others. I want a life marked by love. Not because I'm loving or because I figured it out. But because the love of the God who created me has transformed and is transforming my life from the inside out. That's part of what it means to love like Jesus. Now, I know that so much of this feels way easier when it's set on a stage, right? You're thinking, that's great. I, I, can't just, I can't just flip a switch. And I totally agree. In fact, I, I think this kind of love is a byproduct of closeness with Jesus. It begins first, like we talked last week, with abiding in him, remaining in him. And then our, our hearts, our minds, our will begins to change. There's a, a Franciscan friar named Richard Rohr. I think he, he puts it brilliantly. He said, most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. Anyone been handed that particular brain of theology? He'll love us once we change. He says, in fact, God loves you so that you can change. What empowers change, what makes you desirous of change even, is the experience of love. The point isn't like be more loving so that God will pay attention to you. The point is the, the God of the universe already loves us with an unconditional love and that changes the way that we live. 
He sees us and knows us more fully than we know ourselves and says, you're my beloved. You are my son. You are my daughter. And that begins to change. Begins to change us and those around us. Now the last part of this verse, in verse 12, is the first part here. It says, my command is this. My command is this. And I found that so curious that he decided to use the word command there because it, it feels like an invitation, and I believe that it is. But anytime that Jesus uses the word command, I think we're intended to pay extra attention. He's like, hey, I have some thoughts about a better way to, lo- better, better way to live and love and a better way to you know, organize your life. He's like, oh, this, this is my command. Pay attention to this. It ultimately comes down to love, how we love one another and how we allow God's love to work in and through us. So I, I want to issue just two quick challenges as we close. Um, the first challenge is to get connected. If you're not in a small group, I can't encourage you enough. We talk a lot about the three C's here, celebrate, connect, contribute, about our three key relationships. That middle one, connect, is about doing life together. Life is lived better in circles than in rows. And I love my small group for this. Man, there's been weeks where we had an agenda and then someone else had a need and we put that agenda aside. We get connected and we, we care for one another. If you're not in a group, I can't encourage you enough. In fact, we made it really, really easy for you. You can text the keyword SGINFO to the number 313131. That'll generate a form. You fill out that form and someone from our team will get back to you this week. We'll find the day. We'll find the location that works for you. If you were not in a group or you tried a group and you bailed, I can't encourage you enough to get into one, to join one. Now, this second challenge is for those of you who are in a group. So if you're not in a group right now, you you can just ignore this part if you want, or you can actually fill out that form right now where you sit. That's fine. Second challenge is to bring life. To bring life in your community, to bring life in your small group. Because I'll admit something, for years, I attended small group. I wasn't bringing life to small group, though. I was checking a box. And not only was I checking a box, I was, I was patting myself on the back for going. It took me years to realize that like attendance isn't the goal. A great track record isn't the goal. The goal is to bring life to one another, to lay down our lives for the sake of the other, to show them that they're loved and capable of loving. And that could look like a number of different things. Maybe it's just sending them a text right now. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Maybe there's someone right now that you know has a need that you've been avoiding. Maybe they need help moving. They need help watching their kids. Maybe they just need a meal. Maybe it's none of that. Maybe someone you're thinking of just needs to have a cup of coffee with someone to look them in the eye and say it's going to be okay. To remind them that they're not alone. The thing that I find really fascinating is that when we see people live like that, lives like Mr. Rogers, people who are laying down their life, so often, regardless of your faith background, will say things like, oh man, that's so inspiring. Has anyone ever said that before? You look at someone else's life, you say, oh, it's so inspiring. That word spire from the Latin is sanctus, and it means spirit, breath, or life. There is something to watching someone else lay down their lives that deep within us, whether you're into Jesus or Bible or church or not, that says, oh man, yeah, I want more of that in the world. That brings life to me somehow. And that's the invitation of Jesus to not just simply receive his love, but to bring it, to bring life and love wherever we may be. And yeah, sometimes it's gonna be hard. 
Sometimes it's going to be inconvenient, but Jesus tells us it's so, so worth it. I think, I think C.S. Lewis put it best. He said this, Love is never wasted, for its value does not rest upon reciprocity. Its value does not rest on whether or not the person returns the favor, offers appreciation of any kind. It's because we're hardwired to live like that. To live not with clenched fists, but with open hands to see all of life as a gift. And after 15 years of being a pastor, here's the thing that I've realized. No one gets condemned into transformation, but they sure can be loved to it. They sure can be loved into it. No one gets condemned. No one gets shamed into transformation, but they sure can get loved into it. At the beginning, I, I read some, um, some quotes from kids about what they thought love was, and there's one that I didn't share then that I want to share with you now. It's Jessica, age eight. She said, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it, but if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. People forget. I forget. My guess is you do too. And maybe this morning you've forgotten. In the midst of life and all the things that kind of beat our joy out of us, you've forgotten that you're not just here to survive. You're here to live life to the full. Because the God who created stepped down from infinity became an infant for us to love us and pursue us and he is patient with us because he is a good, good father. What would it look like if we reminded one another each and every day that you're not alone and that you are loved and capable of loving? Friends, it's no exaggeration. I think that would change the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us with that kind of love, a love that I know I spent so much of my life trying to earn, trying to deserve, and yet you show us that your way is so much better. Your grace is so much better. Your love that pursues us and comes after us. I pray for those of us in this room watching digitally, God, whatever story, whatever script some of us maybe are telling ourselves that isn't whispering love and grace and mercy, would you help us to see them, to hear them for the lies that they are? God, help us to receive your love and allow that to change our lives from the inside out so that we might look more and more like you every day to help more and more people find their way back to you, God. We thank you and we love you. We pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.